today uh, includes a wide range of experiences. For some of you, it may be a day that you look forward to all year to honor a mother in your life, or for one day a year to get recognized for, as the video represents, you know, a lot of things that you do that go overlooked and underappreciated. But, but I've come to recognize uh, after uh, speaking on Mother's Day for, for over a decade now that, that Mother's Day includes a wide range of other experiences. For some women, women who uh, want to become moms but haven't been able to, for some who have lost a mom, for some whose moms uh, don't look anything like the video represented or what Hallmark portrays, and for some who don't have a relationship uh, with their mom. And so if that's you and you're watching at home or you're here today, I want to say thanks for having the courage to show up. Because I know for some people, Mother's, is a, Mother's Day is a day that many just just leave, leave it at home, skip. It's just too hard. And so our goal today is, is to do two things. We want to honor uh, the moms that are in our lives for the real and significant investment they make on a daily basis, uh, following that calling that God's put on their life and an opportunity they have. But we also want to include with that honor a, a healthy dose of honesty and talk about the, the real life struggles that happen under this banner uh, of motherhood. And today our series that we're concluding in the book of Nehemiah really allows us to do that. If you haven't been with us for this series, uh, what you'll notice is that uh, in this series, we've been talking about this journey of rebuilding, putting the pieces back together when things have broken and fallen apart. We mentioned in the first week that, it, that every journey of rebuilding begins with prayer. We talked about prayer and grief, and uh, that may relate to some of your own experience in, in mothering or with a mother. We talked in the second week about that every great rebuilding process has a plan, and we put together that plan with intentional preparation. We talked in the third week about the fact that every rebuilding process is one that we cannot do alone. Isolation is the enemy. And then last week, we talked about the fact that in rebuilding, we're going to face opposition. We're going to face obstacles, and we start moving towards that rebuilding. You know, all hell will come our way to keep us from that. Well, today we're going to talk about the rest of the story of Nehemiah, because if you were with us last week when we concluded this, this building process, it was chapter 5 of Nehemiah. And if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, you know that it's actually 13 chapters long. So if they rebuild the wall, and it's chapter 5, and the book goes till chapter 13, well, what happens in the rest of the book? Well, we're going to talk about that today under this banner. The title of our message is Finishing Strong. Because I have spent a lot of time with moms. I was writing an article recently about Mother's Day, and I sent out a text to some friends and said, hey, tell me about the struggles that you're facing, or what are the obstacles that you face, or what are the lies that you believe. And my phone didn't stop buzzing for half an hour. I mean, it was just text after, after text after text of stories and lies and experiences that all get in the way of, of finishing strong and enduring and persevering in this area. And I know that all of us, no matter what, whether we're a mom or not, all of us are facing in some place in our life a struggle where we need to finish, where we need to endure, where we need to press through. And today we're going to talk about just that. If you got a copy of those notes that Clovis mentioned earlier, here's a big idea for this morning. If our enemy cannot keep us 
from completing the rebuilding, he'll tempt us with compromise. If our enemy can't keep us from completing the rebuilding that we're in the middle of, that's what happens in the story of Nehemiah, that he'll tempt us with compromise. One of the things I've seen, even though I've not been a pastor for the, the bulk of my life, we're still not all the way to, to halfway in my life yet, but I've been working in churches for 15 years. One of the things I've seen is that people will make incredible accomplishments and then they'll compromise. That they'll get to the top of the mountain and achieve everything and then the mountain will fall apart underneath them because of compromise. You have probably seen people who have accomplished their dreams only to lose them because they compromised. And we're going to see how that temptation was very real for Nehemiah today. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 5. That's where we're going to start today. We won't stay there, but that's where we're going to start today. And we're going to explore the ways in which Nehemiah was tempted to compromise. And today I'm going to share with you three warnings about compromise for those who care about finishing strong. So if you are somebody in the midst of whatever rebuilding you're doing, whether it's rebuilding a life or rebuilding a family or rebuilding a community or rebuilding an organization or here we're rebuilding a church, if you care about finishing strong in that rebuilding, these are three warnings you would be wise to heed. Now here's the first one. Avoiding and undoing compromise can be harder than rebuilding walls. Avoiding and undoing compromise can be harder than rebuilding walls. What we're going to see in this passage is that for Nehemiah, some of the hardest work he did was actually after that great work that everybody knows him for. Everybody knows Nehemiah as the guy who rebuilt the walls, but some of his greatest work, some of his hardest work actually happened after the walls got rebuilt. He was governor of this area of Judea for 12 years. The rebuilding was less than a year. What did he do for the other 11 years? He did the things that we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible open in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, this is what we read. And this, in my Bible, there's headings over different sections. And the, the heading over this section is social injustice. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against the Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. We and our children are like the countrymen and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. See, here in Nehemiah chapter 5, in the beginning of this section of Scripture, what we're seeing is that Nehemiah confronts economic oppression. People who worshiped the same God, who were part of the same tribe, were oppressing one another, taking advantage of one another, laying unreasonable and ridiculous interest one another to the point that families were having to put up their very own children as collateral on the loans to get food to eat. 
And when they couldn't pay off that loan, their children were literally taken into slavery. And this was happening neighbor to neighbor, brother to brother, family member to family member, countryman to countryman. And Nehemiah becomes aware of this even as they are rebuilding the wall. And in Nehemiah 5, 6, it says, I, Nehemiah, became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. All of these people, he thinks, are doing this great work with him, rebuilding the wall. He sees this great project that they're part of together. But behind the scenes, as he listens to them, he hears them crying out, that everything is not as it seems and that people have compromised. And so Nehemiah begins the work of undoing that compromise, freeing these children who are slaves and restoring the land to those who owned it and making sure that people can have the very basic need of food met. But that isn't the only compromise that Nehemiah Faces. In, in verse 14, he says, The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. But before Nehemiah, there was a pattern of corrupt leadership in the nation of Israel. And what Nehemiah does is that he breaks the pattern of corrupt leadership. This was expected that governors would be able to take advantage of the people. They would be able to take incredible um, amounts of taxes and food and silver to live in lavish luxury while the people suffered. And what Nehemiah does is he goes, not only am I going to undo the corruption and the suffering of the people who compromised, but I'm also not going to walk in the path of those who went before me. And in both of these moments, what what Nehemiah does is he chooses not to fit the external mold and expectations other people had. He chooses to walk in holiness and righteousness. He chooses not to appear to be something, but to actually be it. To not project an image, but actually to walk in integrity. And in Nehemiah's day, in the same way as our day, it is really tempting to put on a show and to look good. As Brennan Manning says, the temptation of our age is to look good without being good. The temptation is to compromise behind the scenes, but to project a public image that's very different. And if you're a mom today... And especially if you're a mom today and on social media, you know this acutely well. That in our world, we tend to value image over substance. A simple scroll of whatever social media you hang out on, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest, will show that we tend to project an image even though the between the posts images look really different. We feel this pressure and this outside uh, pressing in on us to project something and to produce something and to buy into something and to compare to something that is so often far from reality. We live in a world that says, hey, it, it, it matters the image that you have. And yet, according to the scripture, it's not about the image that you have. It's about the substance that you have. 
In the book of 1 Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel is choosing the next king. And even in the ancient world, he buys into this myth that image matters more than substance. And God has to have a conversation even with his own prophet and priest. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge this man in front of you by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, we serve a God who is more concerned with the substance of something than the image of something. Anybody can project a good image. He cares about the heart. And that's where compromise comes in. Compromise happens in the heart, in the dark, in the quiet. And compromise, it culminates in public, but it begins in private. And so if you're rebuilding something today, I just want to encourage you that it's in those quiet and small and private places where you're just talking to yourself and no one else sees and no one else knows that the most important work happens. Because compromise is tempted there and compromise begins there. And ultimately, if we're going to walk in integrity and finish strong, compromise is rejected there. And what happens in private ultimately plays out in public, both for good and for destruction. The second warning I wanted to give you is that rebuilding lives begins with a solid foundation. If you're going to rebuild something, yes, it's important that you start building up, but if you're wise, first you start building down. You start laying a foundation that is strong enough to hold what you're building on. And that's what Nehemiah does throughout the rest of the book. Once the, the walls are completed, Nehemiah attends to the foundation of the people because he isn't just rebuilding walls. He's rebuilding an entire people. And here's what he does. I've, I've picked five things to highlight here. In chapter 8, Nehemiah calls the people to return in submitting to Scripture. They hadn't even been reading the Word of God, much less submitting to it. And they, they participate in a public reading of Scripture, and they recommit themselves to it. They, they renew their worship practices, which had been corrupted and compromised. And, and he renews those things and says, hey, we're going to do this the right way. He, he has a public confession of sins which I'm not holding today, so you can take a deep breath right now. But one of the things that I think is missing in our practice of our faith so often is confession. We're, we're not a, a highly liturgical church, you know, where there's all these readings where you stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down. But one of the valuable things for churches that practice that is a regular practice of confession. Because if you can't remember the last time you confessed your sins, it's very easy to deceive yourself into thinking that you have nothing to confess. And they confessed their sins and mourned and grieved the ways that they had abandoned the ways of God and their calling as the people of God. That's the next one. They reclaim their identity as God's people and they remind themselves of who God has called them to be and how he has called them to live and the promises that, that he has made to them and the invitations he's put in front of them for them to embrace as well. And then they commit to, to holiness. N not, hey, we're going to do our best to not get around to anybody that doesn't share our faith, but we're going to walk in a way that sets us apart in holiness. And this is what Nehemiah does over the next 11 years. 
is he rebuilds the people's way of life as the people of God, and he establishes a sure foundation that they can rebuild their life on together. The rebuilding they do starts with this very foundation that we lay out right here. And some of us, we need to remember that it isn't just rebuilding the dynamics of our lives and the activities and going places we couldn't go or maybe going without masks when we used to have to go with masks. That isn't just the rebuilding that we're doing. It's rebuilding the foundation that that was built upon. Because if you're a, a mom or a dad in this room, part of what you feel about your family is a desire to protect them, a desire to care for them, a desire to watch over them. And one of the things we've learned in this last year is that you can't prevent catastrophes from happening to your family. You can't prevent one of your kids from getting in an accident when you're not around. You can't prevent somebody that you love from getting cancer. You can't prevent somebody that you care about from experiencing the brokenness of our world. You also can't protect your your people completely. You can't actually keep everybody safe all the time. That's an American myth. But what you can do is you can attend to the foundation that their life is built upon. If you're parenting a child today, you, you won't actually keep them from hardship in life. But what you can do is you can help them build their life on a foundation. That way, if a catastrophe comes or if something painful comes, they actually have something to respond to those things from so that they are not shaken by those things. Now, you might be thinking, Scott, yeah, I can do that. I can work on that foundation. But what if they don't want to? What if I want to be involved in that work, but they don't? What can I do? Well, I'll tell you, as an adult child who now navigates relationships with my parents, and we have to negotiate visits and time and calls and that whole thing, let me just tell you that the worst thing you can do is to disrespect and violate that boundary. I listened to a conversation this week with a young woman who was in a season of deconstruction of her faith. And one of the reasons why she was struggling was that the person who passed faith onto her was her mom. And she was talking about her mom and she said, my mom, when I was a kid, I never remember my mom knocking on my door. My mom had always barged into my room. There was no boundary between me and my mom. There was no, no respect of space. And she said, I began to ask some questions about my faith when I was in early adulthood, and that led me into this long season of struggle with my faith. And she said, then I was somewhere, and I heard a teaching from a pastor, and the pastor read from Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20 is a section of a, a letter written to an early church in the first century. And there, the writer John records the words of Jesus saying, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, I will come in and dine with you and be with you. And this young woman said, I realized that Jesus was not like my mom. Jesus knocked. She said, that was the beginning of my rebuilding. I'm a parent. I know my kids are going to go to therapy for stuff. (laughs) And I know from your laughing that you know that too. And so we can't always do everything that we want to do to help our kids to completely see the world and engage in the world the way we want to. 
But let me just tell you that there is a difference between inviting and knocking and barging in. And if you want to help build a foundation that someone shares with you, you'll make so much more progress by knocking and inviting and leaving space for response than you will constantly barging in. And what you can do is to continue to show up and continue to invite and continue to be present. Trusting and praying that God is at work in ways you don't see, doing things you don't understand. And at the end of the day, if you're a parent, you know, you're only needing that door open once. It's only got to be opened once for you to have your prayers be answered. And so I would encourage you that if, if you're struggling today with what you can do, just keep, keep knocking. The third warning I, I wanted to share is that compromise runs on two tracks, tempting the overwhelmed and attacking the discouraged. I have to believe that what happens to Nehemiah in Nehemiah 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 is that there are moments that he's overwhelmed with the work he has to do. And at times he's discouraged. There's even a reminder if you get to the end of the book, and if you haven't read Nehemiah yet in this series, I'd encourage you to to work through it this week. In Nehemiah 13, we don't have time to dive into it, but Nehemiah has gone back to Susa. He's been governor for 12 years. He told the, the king, Artaxerxes, hey, I'll be gone for 12 years. He goes back and he's been gone for a year and he gets reports that things have already started falling apart. I mean, it's got to be discouraging. I was there for 12 years. I taught you everything. I showed you everything. We went through that long list of things and already you're abandoning it. And that's where compromise comes. When we're overwhelmed or we're discouraged, we are so vulnerable to compromise. And I mentioned that, that text conversation I had with a few moms a couple weeks ago. And, and over and over again, I heard words like tired and overwhelmed and discouraged and isolated. And it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a man or a woman. When these four things are true, your guard is down. And when the temptation to compromise shows up, you're, you're compromised. And when you're compromised, compromise is so much easier. So what I wanted to do today with the time that we have is that I wanted to just not just share it with you from my study of Scripture and from insight and wisdom God's given me. I wanted to share some actual mom's stories. So right now I'm going to ask three moms to join me on stage who are in varying stages of motherhood. And we're going to have a conversation about persevering and finishing strong. If you would, would you welcome them to the stage right now as they share with us today? So uh, I'm going to each of them to introduce themselves and their families to you. And uh, I'm going to turn to our first victim first. So, Well, I was told not to assume that everybody knew me. Um, <laughs> so um, this picture that I see here that's up back there um, is a picture of my family. I'm married to this guy right here. Uh, my name's Dan Allen, um, And the three little Savages. children... <laughs> In the picture are um, Wesley, who's the tallest one, and he's trying to smile real hard. Um, Shayla didn't want to be touched. She's in the middle, and Maxwell is 
being Maxwell, um, they are uh, nine, six, and six. Okay, and then next is uh, Christine. Well, my name is Christine, and the picture behind you is my family. I'm probably the lightweight in the group since I only have one child. Um, that's my husband, Charles, and my son, Anthony, who's 24. So I am a reluctant empty nester. We've been married for 25 years. And then Nancy. You moved to Prescott, I think, two years ago? Yes. Okay. Well, I shared some questions uh, with these ladies in light of this final message in the series, and I thought maybe we could start with Christine. The first question uh, I shared with you was, tell us about a time in motherhood when you felt significant discouragement and how you responded. I think for me, um, when Anthony was young, I was very career-oriented. I grew up in a family with a lot of strong women um, and the conversations were more about, you know, get out there and do, do your part. Um, and so there were struggles sometimes, particularly in certain communities, um, where being more career driven than might have been expected um, was shunned upon. Um, I think there were people who thought um, I didn't take good care of my son. Um, because I was very career-oriented. Um, the, the promotions moved quickly. There was travel. Um, but I had a great partner in uh, raising my child. Um, there is nothing better than a, a man that can cook, just saying. Um, <laughs> that helps when you're out of town. Um, so not knowing the ins and outs of, of our marriage and our relationship, um, we got judged. Um, I got judged, especially being... Um, a Southern Baptist girl from the South, um, that I was more career-driven than focused on um, raising my child. And so that was, that was discouraging. Um, there were times when I was young I felt like I needed to explain myself, but I eventually got to a point where um, I didn't feel that need to explain that to anyone anymore. Um, I focused more on making everyone feel welcomed in the conversation because whether your work is outside the home or inside the home, those four words still fit. We're all still tired. We're all still exhausted, and we're all still overwhelmed. That, that doesn't change depending on where your work happens. So my response was just to be more inclusive, um, understand that that was coming from um, a space that perhaps they didn't understand um, me and who I was. Um, but, yeah, the struggle was just not to, to take it personally, which that sounds good in theory, but that's always a struggle. This is why Christine and I have been friends for longer than I've known Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, I am an attorney and um, married to a pastor, so most people would expect that I would be barefoot and pregnant at home. Um, and so I, uh, I, have, I started my career before I met Scott and then um, met him and we got married. And the people at the church that we were at said to my face, this is great. We're so happy for you. You're working in the community. You're helping keep our community safe. But then behind my back would um, judge me for the fact that I was trying to get a two-year-old in 
infant twins to church and so I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt after wearing a suit all week um, and um, saying and, and even to the point that they um, when we left Phoenix s- still talking behind my back and then somebody at work hearing it at a restaurant um, and I have to be honest my response was <laughs> anger and rage um, and it's been a process to get past that but um, being judged for the fact that I'm doing what I believe is my calling in life and people saying that I'm not taking care of my kids the way I should when I'm a better mom when I'm at work. I'm a better mom to my kids. Um, has, has always been a struggle and I knew that people were judging me but it wasn't until it actually I actually heard about an incident that I just Scott was there for that. Um, but having, having a friend like Christine has always has encouraged me because, um, wh- I mean, she's, we, had a, we had a similar experience while not being the same experience, and learning how to move on from that has, has been a challenge. How about you, Nancy? It's interesting that you guys struggled with your careers and those types of things. I struggled because I wanted a career and felt called to homeschool the kids full-time and uh, managed to do that through high school, but it was a big struggle. A lot of discouragement, a lot of fear, a lot of feelings of being inadequate. I've never been a teacher, Um, but knowing that God has called you to do something, that's key because if you know that God has called you to do it, you know that he's going to equip you to do it. And it doesn't matter if you're in a professional career or if you're at home homeschooling. Um, We homeschooled when homeschooling was not popular in the South. And it was an uphill fight all the way. And we were ridiculed. And we were, many times, felt like we were being judged. And it was, diffi- it was difficult. But again, if you know that God has called you to do something, you got to know that he will equip you to do it. And he will give you the faith. And if you just keep hanging on and trusting that he's got your back, you're going to be okay. One of the things I think that kind of ties that together is that um, there are some common and unique temptations that mothers face. And uh, I talked about this idea of compromise here. Um, Whether it's personally for you or something that you observe, it's more broad. Um, What's one area that you uh, feel moms are tempted to compromise in? Um, Anybody can take this question. They don't take care of themselves. They want to do it all. They're judging themselves against what everybody else is able to accomplish and do. Um, I would say taking time for themselves, to recharge, to have time with the Lord. God reminded me of Susanna Wesley putting the apron up over her head to have a quiet time. Um, That's probably the most important thing. I think you read my notes. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) I was going to say self-care and self-grace because we do judge ourselves based on each other instead of just helping each other. Community now with social media and Facebook, and I 
my heart bleeds for young moms now um, having not the best role models um, or seeing five seconds of someone's life on Instagram and thinking that's the way it should be. Um, seeing people's faces through filters and thinking that's, that's what I should look like, that's what my life should look like. And that's hard. I mean, women do a good enough job of beating ourselves up on our own. Um, that platform and those platforms just make it harder. Um, so I, I, I try to reach out to younger moms in, in, in that aspect because they really have um, a visual that I didn't have in those young years raising my son um, that can be discouraging. We talked about this idea of uh, building a foundation, uh, and all of you kind of are in various stages. You know, we've got uh, elementary age kids. You know, Anthony, it's crazy for me to think that he's almost 25. Um, I was one of his leaders when he was a freshman in, in, uh, in high school. And, uh, and then, Nancy, you've got kids and grandkids, and they're spread across the country. Um, you know, when you think about this idea of building a foundation, it looks different in your various stages, but um, wh what's one component of a foundation that you're seeking to build upon in, in your work as a mother? I think one of the most important things that God had us focus on was that character is the most important thing you can instill into your kids. Um, they will get taught what they need to get taught but character is something that is it goes with you through life and it's probably one of the most important things you can concentrate on even as adult children we still have conversations about character um, for me it's uh, that I'm enough I'm enough with and without my kids I'm enough with and without my family my husband um, because if I can't believe that about myself, I can't teach my kids that. Um, and that I have nothing to prove to anybody. I mean, I, I don't. I, need, I have to be able to be by myself and know that I'm enough um, before I can go out and do what I need to. For me, it's grace. Um, especially in the last 18 to 24 months, I'm sure we've all seen how our country looks right now. Um, I've been a part of some really hard conversations um, just by the nature of what I do, which is HR. Um, so just had a lot of hard conversations about um, diversity, inclusion, um, just, just some, some tough talks, seeing families not speaking anymore, um, friends that don't talk anymore because of uh, what they feel or think about a specific point. Um, which we can all agree to disagree, but you need to disagree agreeably. Um, and I think somehow we've lost that. Um, so in a situation like mine, where to be you know, blatantly honest, I am a female and a minority. Um, so I have my own challenges um, that I deal with, uh, whether professionally or not, um, being able to be open and be a safe space for those kinds of conversations. And that takes a lot of grace. So there are things that I could say and I've tried to say to encourage moms today, but you guys have a unique ability uh, to see and to speak that I don't have. So um, there's a lot of moms that are listening today. They're either here or they're watching at home. Maybe somebody's going to send them this video. Um, what's one thing that you want them to hear today as they walk away from this experience? I think what I heard from all three of us in a sense was, being true to your calling. 
I think that's the thread I heard from all three of us on this platform. Um, if you're following God's calling, be true to that. And that's not always going to be popular. You're not always going to be liked. That is going to guarantee some struggle. Following God is not for the weak at heart. Um, it doesn't guarantee that you won't struggle. You just know there's someone beside you in the struggle. And find women you have something in common with. Um, I mean, I, I have things in common with moms that work at home, that stay at home and work with their kids at home. I have things in common with somebody like Christine who looks very different from me and does a very different job than I do, but we still have things in common. They're out there. Um, I mean, I... And Scott will make fun of me later because I usually make fun of him for this. But I have found that I have things in common with women on Twitter who are on law Twitter. Um, moms who... And she used to make fun of me that I had friends that were online that I didn't ever meet in person. So and, I have... Uh, these, and so now she has it. So I have... A, uh, there's a couple of women that I found that I have a lot in common with that I interact with back and forth on Twitter because they're encouraging. Their highlight reel is not on Twitter. Um... One in particular, she, uh, she's, um, she, she struggles, and she's got three boys around the same age as my three kids, and she puts those struggles out there, and as an attorney and a mom, and she works from home, and her husband and her have, like, their practice is very different from what I do, but she's encouraging, and she loves Jesus, which is even better, so she's, and she's hilarious, but um, I found that I, like, I'm encouraged by her. Um, when I am reading what she's posting and when we interact back and forth, I even told her, I said, hey, Edie, I'm probably going to mention you on stage today. <laughs> she's like, okay, whatever. But, um, but find somebody you have something in common with. Um, and not just people that, you, that do the same thing. And, and I'm preaching to myself because I really struggle with that. I struggle with new people. I struggle with new situations. I, I don't necessarily talk to a lot of people at church because I'm like, uh, people help. Um, so, and it's kind of weird being a pastor's wife and an attorney when you're like, oh, big, big groups of people are scary. Um, so, so just find somebody that you have something in common with. Nancy, you want to? I guess I would just say that if you know that God has called you to do something and you feel inadequate in that, that's okay. Because God's grace is sufficient for you and his power is made manifest in your weakness. So just know that you're walking and doing what he's called you to do in his strength and not your own. Well, I want to say thank you to these ladies for getting up here and sharing. And, uh, uh, well, yeah. And then I want to invite you to, to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for just these uh, reminders that we've received today from from Danny and from Christine and from Nancy and from Nehemiah. Uh, we're all in the middle of something. And as mentioned last week, the middle is messy. And it's really easy to give up. It's really easy to get discouraged. Uh, it's really easy for us to, to think about the calling that got us into what we're doing and to recognize that it's going differently than we thought it was going to go. It's really easy to get isolated and to try to do it by ourselves. And it's really easy to be our worst critic. 
but we thank you that we have the story right here from the middle of the Bible of Nehemiah, who even when his big project was done, he didn't stop. Even when he kept finding more things that were broken and hard, he kept working. And, and even when he had to go back and attend to what he had already done, he kept trusting in you. He kept opening himself up to you, and he allowed you to work through him. And so I just pray that we uh, would hear the words that you've spoken through a variety of voices today. I pray that you would show us just how much grace you have for us where we are today. And I pray that we would know, as Nancy said, that your grace is sufficient for us, that our power, your power is made perfect in our weakness, that when we are weak, we discover your strength. We pray that we would come to you and find in you all we need to do all it is that you have called us to do. And we thank you, Jesus, for meeting us here today. In your name we pray, amen.